The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and uh, welcome to Gadget Guide show number 169. Looking at some tech news and then at a few of the Cambridge Science Festival lineup items for 2020. Looking at this week's tech news, or at least the last couple of weeks as well as this week, and um, we're going to be probably talking about things coming up at the Mob- Mobile World Congress in a couple of weeks. Yes, this is the uh, the annual event. Sort of tech, tech generally, but with a focus on mobile devices held in Barcelona every January. Focus on networks and devices that access them. Of course, the current risk is whether it goes ahead or if it gets cancelled. Yeah, and this is not a small uh, exhibit. It's tens of thousands of people, thousands of exhibitors. Yep. It's, of co- it's all the networks get together around the world. It's all the hardware providers. You know, there'll be the likes of Huawei there trying to... Uh, get their infrastructure into networks that are trying to uh, decide whether they want it or not. But the risk here is that a lot of this technology comes from Asia. Yep. And there's a little bit of a a health situation going on there, if you haven't heard the news. Yeah, so the problem with the coronavirus is a lot of big brands have already announced that they will not be attending Mobile World Congress. They've basically cancelled their attendance. Obviously, they're not going to get their money back if they've booked uh, stands and and, uh, exhibition space. But I think the exhibition hall is going to have quite a lot of big gaping voids if it goes ahead. Yeah, and it, it's a really tough one because, of course, from the from the exhibitors' point of view, yeah, they, they've committed to all the spend already. Um, but at the same time, the way that these viruses get transmitted is through close contact, and yep. that is exactly what you have at a, a, a tech a, event. Exactly, an event yep. as big as this, which brings a completely global audience. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's sort of the, the perfect way to spread it. But at the same time, how you know how risk adverse are you? you know, is it is it worth completely cancelling this event, or is it? Do you sort of say, well, okay, anyone who's had any symptoms for the last couple of weeks, obviously those folks need to stay away. Yeah. We'll do some temperature screening on the uh, on the way in. Is that enough? Probably not, unfortunately. Yeah, 99.99% of people coming over from uh, from Asia are not in the slightest going to be yeah. contagious. Yeah, and. If you get one person, how many? And that—that's the problem. We we don't actually know the the spread dynamics of this virus no. yet. Is that we don't know how many people one infected person would pass it on to yes. in typical contact, and and what that contact really needs to entail to actually guarantee a transmission. Mm. So unfortunately, the likes of Sony, Nvidia, and Amazon have already pulled out. Yep, and I, I guess this is sort of from their point of view, this is going to work two ways as well, which is that they don't want to risk their employees, but at the same time, they don't want to risk one of their employees actually being contagious. Yep. And yep, LG and Ericsson are on that list. Yes, and certainly. So uh, yeah, the not list going to the, be an awful lot the left, list is unfortunately there? is growing um, by the day. Uh, we've got NTT Decomo also have said uh, the five G providers VOV have said they're not going, um, and we're getting some of the US vendors now saying we're reviewing it, which yes. normally means we're trying to decide at what point we say no, and and that's entirely fair. And of course, the big names, although they will leave the gaping voids. In a sense, they're the ones that have the least to lose. You know, if LG yeah. don't exhibit MWC, people go, oh, LG's not there, but they won't stop buying LG phones. Whereas for a lot of the smaller exhibitors, you know, the, the kind of startups and, uh, and small enterprises, something like this could make the difference between their business surviving the next year and not. Yeah. So it's a much higher stakes 
offering for them. Yeah. I mean, give you an idea of the size of the exhibition, the, the venue, you could fit London XL into several times. Yes. So it is huge. Uh, yes, I think a lot of companies will err on the side of safety, employee safety, and uh, avoiding risk. Yes, and uh, of course it won't just be the exhibitors, it'll also be a lot of the attendees and the, the journalists may yeah. choose not to... Uh, yeah. Not to go along. So uh, we will keep watching this place and uh, we will obviously um, let everyone know what happens in two weeks' time yes. when we're back with... Maybe, the... maybe they should just sort of put a video screen up at I, each booth and thinking, just teleconference people you, in. You tell LG, OK, fine, you're not coming, but we want lots of your TVs. I, interestingly, <laughs> I, d- I did see some uh, s- some stuff going around on social media recently about how a lot of companies have cancelled sort of internal company travel and are just replacing it with video conferencing. And actually, is this the kick that we need? It might well be. To say, you know what... You don't need to fly halfway around the world for no. a board meeting. You can just do it over whatever your favourite video conference provider is yeah. instead. Yeah, you've got dozens to choose from these days. Even the free things like free Skype can do a reasonable job of getting you into the room. You know, yes. plonk a laptop down where you're sitting and you have a laptop on your remote connection and you can see the room and a, they can see you. A, a lot of companies, of course, increasingly concerned about their sort of their carbon footprint, their environmental credentials. It you makes know a what? Whole, whole lot of sense to actually do it's, video conferencing. Which exactly, is, that is, is something much more environmentally friendly. It tried friendly. to take off in the 90s and the early 2000s and didn't really get there. Well, the tech wasn't really ready at that point, no. was it? No, uh, it was also very expensive. Yes. Now, like I said, you can literally do it for free from your laptop. So, yeah, it might be an interesting one. We mentioned uh, on the previous Gadget Guide that Disney Plus was soon to be launching in the UK. They had announced to launch well, they hadn't announced a launch date yet, but um, that has now been firmed up, and Disney Plus will make its way to the UK on the 24th of March. Yes, the pricing's uh, actually come in a little less than I was expecting. It's five ninety nine a month, uh, five pound ninety nine a month. You can get uh, get it for sixty pound a year if you if you want to commit to the whole year. That's aligned with Netflix's cheapest package. I'm sure that's not coincidental. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised it's that low. I, I think it's a case of... I was expecting about the £10 mark. I think they've worked out the fact that you're, you're spending £10 on Netflix already, or thereabouts. Yep. You're spending £10 or thereabouts on Amazon Prime. If you've got Sky Movies, that's about £20. If you've got, you know, basically it all, all of these adds things up very add quickly. Up. And to tell consumers that it's another £10 or another £15 is possibly a, a limit too far, whereas if you come in at, at five ninety nine or 60 quid, people will go... Yeah, that's a beer every couple of weeks or something I like can, that. I can tol- a couple of coffees in your average coffee um, shop in the, on the high street, actually. It'll be interesting to see what, yeah, how much content they have there, because, of course, Disney have a huge amount of the market in the, the big films. Well, they own everything now, don't they? I, exactly, yeah, <laughs> they, they've got Lucasfilm and uh, and all the rest. Do they take 20th Century Fox? Yes. Yes. Uh, and they've dropped the 20th Century. Uh, sorry, yes, yeah, so it's just Fox movies now yes. or something, isn't it? Uh, but it will be interesting because I would actually, I'd, interestingly, I cancelled my Netflix subscription a couple of months ago because I just wasn't watching it. Oh, okay. Um, I, I find I watch more Netflix and Prime, but Prime is useful for free deliveries. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually thinking that for the blockbusters, I wonder if uh, Disney Plus might be a better option. Yeah, you know, you're going to get more of those big name movies I'm, I'm, and less of the it, sort it, of the smaller if stuff. If the entire back catalogue or large sections of it available on demand, I can see that's going to be a this. very strong. Because you know you can then flip into it and you can go. Well, I, I, yes, I have Star Wars on a Blu-ray disc somewhere. 
but, but sometimes can you it's be easier to, find to it? just go play now. Yeah. Um, whether they're going to add any of the the stuff that the, the Amazon platform adds to content while you're watching it, the the X-ray facility where you can click up and see information about scenes and actors. That doesn't bother me too much, if it, I'm honest. It, I find it's quite nice if you're watching something again. Okay, yeah, the, those little bits. And you're getting those little bits. Or yep. you go, why do I recognise that actor? Click your up yes. button. And yes. it's like, oh, he was or she was in this, that, and the other. That's where I normally just go to IMDb on my phone well, or something. Well, it is IMDb. Yes. But it's it's on your TV, in your interface, while you're actually watching the scene. It's it's calculating those things for you. It'll, it'll be interesting. And that it's the sort of thing where they, they could very easily make a very strong showing in the market and possibly almost take the sort of the big film home... Uh, home movie consumption yeah. single-handedly. I wonder if that'll lead to any sort of anti-compete legislation or uh, or any lawsuits. Well, I mean, they've they pulled a lot of their content off the other platforms. Exactly. So they, if they're they, not they making it available... They cancelled their contact, content off Prime and Netflix because they were launching their own. But yes. then, similarly, Sky have managed to get away with Sky Atlantic for that's how true. many years and content that's only available there and not even putting it on the Virgin platform. But I guess in the case of Sky Atlantic, it's the sort of you would you probably wouldn't know that the content wasn't there if you didn't know about Sky Atlantic. So in other words, I, I'm sort of gently oblivious to all of that stuff, yeah. whereas I wouldn't be oblivious to when's the next and when can I see the next Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. The, this is a, a much sort or to, of or to be able larger. to see the, the most hyped Mandalorian with Baby Yoda. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, which I have not seen. I have not gone and uh, tried to obtain no it through other means. And I might actually subscribe to Disney Plus for a month or two just to watch that. Yep. Uh, flipping back to the mobile manufacturers, and uh, this is an interesting one. Samsung uh, are going to be doing a launch event tomorrow. It's their big unboxing event. And uh, a little bit of stuff has been leaking out the door beforehand, as, as often happens. Of course. Uh, screenshots and pictures and press pictures of stuff. And the interesting thing is that they're launching a digital assistant. Oh, another one. A physical box similar to your Amazon Echo device or your Google Home Hub. Looks a bit like an air freshener. It does look like an air freshener. Or a, and, or a plump pump. And this will run Bixby. Anyone who's had a Samsung phone has probably worked out how to turn off Bixby and has been significantly <laughs> frustrated by the fact that there's a hardware button that you've got to disable because every time you push it, Bixby tries to get involved. I don't know if I'd want a Bixby in the house. It, it's a hard one to crack into, right? Because it is. Amazon have, have got, obviously got, got this two, massive ecosystem. Well, you've got with, two big incumbents. You've got Google and Amazon. Yeah. And people who've got a Google device have got it on their phone already. They've potentially got a Google Assistant hardware device. Amazon Echo devices. If you've got an Amazon yep. Fire TV, if you've got the current model, it's got a remote control with a microphone in it, and you've you got... can talk to the digital assistant on your Fire TV. Yeah, I think the one thing that I can see possibly being an interesting one for people having this in their uh, in their lounge is the fact that it can act as an infrared remote control for your existing stereo system TV, that sort of thing. But Amazon have got that already. They've got the Echo Cube, which has infrared but, transmitter in but it. But I don't think that that's anywhere near as popular. Yeah, that's not going to have sold anywhere near the number of devices that the Echo Dot or the Echo have. No, because it is more expensive, but then it is also a Fire TV 4K. So if you were buying a new... If you needed a new Fire TV 4K for your latest 4K TV, yeah. you'd probably think about the Fire TV Cube because it can then do all the infrared transmitting and, and drive all of your home equipment with voice commands True. and give you the 4K display. I, I'm just kind of imagining that the, the 
Home Mini might from Samsung might come in at the sort of the Echo Dot price point, the that, sort of twenty thirty pound. Probably the right price point for them to bring which, it in at. Which means people are going to accidentally end up with this infrared control and then find <laughs> that they use it. Yeah, it's the sort of oh well since I've got it, I might as well set it up and then you can say, Hey, whatever you're called, turn off my TV. Bixby. Yes. It's okay, no one will have their things triggered because no one has it on at the moment, right? <laughs> of course, the, the uh, early reviews are saying that it's still only got 2.4 gig Wi-Fi. No one has put 5 gig Wi-Fi in, possibly because it costs a bit more to add it. Yeah, I, that doesn't bother me so much on the Internet of Things stuff. So it, it makes a huge 5 gig Wi-Fi if you're using it for uh, serious video streaming or if you're using it on your laptop, you know, your primary productivity devices. Yeah, 5 gigs is the way to go. It's way less congested than 2.4. On the other hand, your smart light switches, your smart sockets, that sort of thing, home assistance, you know what? There's little enough data. There's probably the enough bandwidth, yes. Yeah. Unless you're in sort of congested London. That's that's right. That yes. gets a bit challenging. Um, so I said that they're going to have their launch event tomorrow. Yep. And this is where they are going to be unpacking the Galaxy S20, yes, renamed from S11. Yes, exactly. They did scop, uh, skip nine, uh, <laughs> nine And they have, they have come clean and said it is to align the model number with the year. Yeah. So th- next year will be the S21 and so on. So basically... Read-number yourself to to fit in with the year does make a whole lot of sense. People will then have a good idea of how old their phones are. Is that a good or bad thing? We did say that people should start to try to keep their phones running longer as far as a green and uh, environmentally friendly technique as well as just save money. Uh, And given the prices, you know, these things coming in pretty much on the £1,000 mark if if you go for the higher end models. You're going to want to keep it for more than a year. Yeah, starting at six seventy for the base model, and yeah, as you said, up to up to about nine hundred pounds for the S ten plus. Yep, and if you want to add five uh, G to S20 that, S twenty plus basically. Th- yeah. Add five G, then up it's going to be um, up to the thousand mark. And if you want the real top of the end uh, thing, the S twenty Ultra five G, coming in at about twelve hundred pounds. That's uh, wow. a little bit okay, eye watering, isn't it? That is a little bit. Yes. So, uh, yeah, do, do watch out for that one. Uh, last one uh, I think we've got time for. Uh, Google Maps is 15. Oh, yes. They, Would you th- believe it's 15 know, years old? I know. It doesn't, uh, doesn't feel like it, does it? I spotted that they changed the icon. That confused changed, me the other day. <laughs> changed the icon. Added a few new features. Quite a lot more stuff around public transport. Good. So they've improved stuff for buses, trains, and those sort of things that are difficult to necessarily find the information about certainly trying to find things like bus timetables these days if you don't go to about half a dozen websites yep google maps will actually tell you the closest bus to your current location is bus number whatever and there's the bus stop and help you find the bus and the bus stop yep that's definitely going to be a, a very valuable feature of course that in the states there's services like one bus away who've done that but I think just integrating it into Google Maps is going to be really important. Well, you know, we've got multiple bus companies here, which makes it the, the slight challenge of coordinating yes, you don't have all those the sort of municipal transport authorities like it, they do. It does help when you've got someone like Google that comes in and says, well, we'll collect all the data and make it available. Yep. Welcome back. We're just having a quick debate here about uh, AI and machine learning. Yes. Uh, that, uh, so we're Cambridge Science Festival 2020 with the theme of vision. They... Worked that one out quite well, didn't they? they did. um, <laughs> Pretty much so. What, one of the things that they're going to have a bit of focus on in the first week is the ethics of artificial intelligence. Now, I, I would have the slightly tongue-in-cheek definition that when it's in marketing material, it's artificial intelligence, and when it's in a computer science paper, it's machine learning. 
Yeah, I'll buy I, that, actually. I, 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 I would say that I'll, the two are, are basically the same, but there, there's a little bit of something. So a lot, a lot of university researchers would, would disagree, and artificial intelligence is where, as a, a user interacting with a computer or a computerised device, we're getting it to mimic intelligent behaviour. So we're not expecting it to just give us a response like a, a screen would with some text. We're doing things like asking it a verbal question. Yes, and it, it's it's certainly broader than just the sort of um, the the kind of the film star robots that you see. You yeah. know, it doesn't have to look like a human. It doesn't have to talk or or listen or anything like that. But what I think you can say is that you're not programming exact responses. You're not no. programming exact behaviours. Um, so whereas a computer saying two plus two equals four, yeah, you're saying, well, this is how you add two numbers together. With AI or, or machine learning, you're sort of saying, hey, look, here's the sorts of things we want you to work out. We're not sure exactly how to get to that answer. We're not sure exactly what the rules are here. Go do your best. Maybe here's some examples. So, for example, the in image recognition, if you want to train a computer how to recognise a cat, you might feed it lots and lots of pictures of cats and lots of pictures that aren't cats and sort of say, right, now here's another picture, is that a cat or not? And you, at no point have you said, well, a cat's a thing which has a cir circular face and two ears sticking out. So you'd probably quite confuse it if you gave it a fox because it wouldn't be able to work out whether it was cat or dog. Possibly. And and that's you know, that's one of the really important things when you're uh, when you're training these systems is to give it plenty of counterexamples of all sorts. Yes. So, you know, is, so it knows should, what wrong is and what right is. Exactly. Should a lion be called a cat? Should a fox be called a cat? Yeah. yeah. Yes. What, what about a cartoon cat? Is that a cat? Yes. So it, it gets complicated. Whereas artificial intelligence is, is really the broader scope looking at the way we interact with these sort of technologies and, and back-end machine learning systems that are doing all the work and gi and giving us a nice fuzzy interface that we can talk to now i'm sure we can interact with. i'm sure that we've had uh, things like tumble dryers which claim to have artificial intelligence <sighs> to tell whether your clothes are dry and that that doesn't have that it has a sensor it, it has sensor a sensor reads that the moisture content has got below a certain percentage stop yes. drying yeah that's not artificial intelligence that is electronics. that's marketing <laughs> marketing um so and, and of course this is worth bearing in mind is that you know as technology evolves the things that we think of as cutting edge ai actually become entirely normal well i mean computer science and normal technology if you think about the fact that we can now turn around to a digital assistant and be this a google assistant be it siri be it an amazon echo device be it bixby that we mentioned earlier and you can ask it things like you can say hey device what's the weather like tomorrow yeah and it's worked out that i want to know what the weather's like tomorrow so that's a time concept in cambridge because it it should assume that where you are. Yeah. I'm here and I've told it I'm in Cambridge and I'd like some information. And that'll work whether you say what's the weather going to be or what is the weather or yeah, what's the weather what, on Tuesday? Is it going to rain or <laughs> should I take an umbrella to the office tomorrow? All those sort of questions. Now, of course, we do have this historic test that sort of sets the bar for. Uh, for true artificial intelligence called the Turing test, which is basically if you have a text interface, it doesn't worry about sort of speech what? recognition yeah. or anything like this. If you could have a text chat, so imagine a WhatsApp chat uh, with something, you put someone, a researcher on one side of this chat, and you put either a human or a computer system at the other end. If that human can have a conversation and not be able to tell 
whether they're speaking to a human or a computer, then that has passed the Turing test, and yeah. that is the sort of the gold star for artificial intelligence. In reality, that's generalised artificial intelligence. In reality, most of the systems that we deal with and that we're actually interested in come much more specific than that. Yeah. Whether that's your digital assistant or your car trying to decide whether you've drifted out of your, your lane on the motorway and, and you need waking up again. Yes, I mean, self-driving cars is certainly something that we're seeing becoming more mainstream. But looking at some of the stuff that the Cambridge Science Festival is going to be looking at uh, around the ethics of artificial intelligence, things like, you know, should it be safe for an artificial intelligence or a machine learning system to be able to diagnose a medical condition? Yes, and you have some very interesting questions because... In some cases, it can be more accurate than a human. But is that fair? Is it, you know, is, it, is it okay for, if you say an AI can diagnose this, what about can you use that AI as part of an insurance company to offer you a quote for medical insurance without someone's consent? Yes. Is that okay? If you, and coming back to the self-driving cars thing, um, you know, if a car, a self-driving car, realises that it's somehow got into a situation where either it's going to kill a pedestrian or its driver or its, its occupants. Occupant. Yes, its passengers. Who should it decide? What yeah. if it's Who two, wins? Well, what if it's two pedestrians versus one occupant? What if it's one pedestrian versus two occupants? Yeah. It's the trolley bus uh, scenario, which is, is a well-known philosophical argument. But how do you translate philosophy into artificial intelligence? Yes. And that's going to be one of the interesting things. In and, and into law. And, exactly. So it's going to be interesting, certainly some of the stuff that's going to be talked about in the first week of the science festival uh, you know how do we actually police the use of this technology how do we make sure that if things become a law requirement where does it fit yes and of course uh, from a, an academic point of view you can say well this is just maths this is just computer code computer code can't commit crimes but what you know someone writes that code someone chooses to put it into use so who's responsible? You know, if, it, if your car does, does decide to run someone over, who's responsible? Is it the occupant? Is it the owner? Is it the person who wrote that software? <laughs> is it the company that sold you the car? You know, who's, who's responsible for that? Who, who is liable in, in a criminal sense even? Yes. So certainly one of the things that we're going to have to start thinking about is how we use technology, why we use it, and where we use it, and whether it's appropriate to actually use these sort of technologies mm. in places. We're going to have a, a, a guest in, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks who's going to talk to us about some of these things, uh, who's actually going to be presenting at the Science Festival, so we won't uh, we won't promise him until we until it's all confirmed yeah. in two weeks' time. But uh, certainly uh, a lot of very interesting lectures will be happening. Now, the Science Festival bookings started uh, today. They took 2,000 bookings in the first 10 minutes. Yes, uh, so get, get in quick, otherwise they will sell out. We heard on Drive from Lu uh, Dr Lucy Shaw, uh, spoke about um, the fact that they've taken 11,000 bookings in the first day. Yeah, the, the, it's worth having a look at, at what's available. If you want to go to one of the lectures, is book early. They're all free, but you do need to get yes, your tickets. Yes, and they, they do sell out. Equally, if you have booked and then realise you can't make it anymore, please cancel your booking because yes. that lets them release a ticket to someone on the waiting list. Yes, because they do all run wait lists. So some of the other things that are going to be um, coming up in March at the Science Festival, uh, things like looking at big data, big clinical data in medicine. Can AI, artificial intelligence, improve breast cancer screening? 
that sounds like a worthy use of the technology. Yes, very much so. Uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, uh, certainly an interesting one on AI myth-busting. You know, what is the difference between science fiction and current technology fact? That should be an interesting uh, one. Just coming back to the medicine thing, I, I do remember a, a slightly amusing uh, example recently where... You know, a, a, a machine learning system was asked to classify tissue into either tissue that had tumours or that didn't. Mm -hmm. And it came up with astonishingly accurate results. And then they realised, and this is something that happens very often with this, is that they realised it wasn't actually spotting the tumours. It's just that any tumorous tissue had a ruler next to it. <laughs> Yeah. Because they were measuring, yeah, you know, the photos that they were using <laughs> had rulers so they could measure the tumors. So uh, actually so they developed a system rulers. that was brilliant at spotting rulers and, Whoops. <laughs> and yes. nothing else. And and it's a really interesting one because, you know, you similarly you get uh, examples of webcams that are meant to, to sort of zoom in on somebody's face that only works with people with, with white skin. And yeah. suddenly you get someone... For, from yeah, you know, African or it discriminates heritage. against people and, who wear glasses. Yes, because it can't focus not, on the eyes. They're not spotted. Yeah, uh, and and again, whose whose responsibility is that? Whose responsibility is it to fix? It's it's interesting that the amount of testing that developers are going to have to do when they develop these sort of systems to make sure that the system is ethical. Yes, that, you know that's going to be, I think, a and, whole, and a whole who, new who quality, defines those ethics? quality assurance side of software development is is our software because it's all software, ethical Yes, is our uh, algorithm and our data set ethical? Is it being used ethically? And if we actually release this into the market, will it be used ethically? You know, Do you want to be the company that releases something out into the wild that a big government could use to discriminate against people? Uh, well, one of the news stories that we saw recently was uh, a company called Clearview AI. Uh, who basically were scraping people's pictures, uh, photos off of Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and, and other companies, Flickr, yeah. uh, and doing facial recognition on it, and then selling those data sets to the law enforcement services. <laughs> now, on the one hand, you know, the, if this is a very powerful tool for law enforcement, you know, that can help in uh, in solving many crimes, preventing crimes, tracking people down who are who are fugitives. On the other hand. You know, who's who's certified this? Who's tested it? And what happens when it gets it wrong is the biggest question. You know, if you maybe you've got a, a twin sibling, and it spots you instead of your sibling, maybe you don't speak to each other anymore. Sounds a bit like Minority Report, doesn't it? It's very much that. You know, we're, can, we're, can you be arrested for a crime that you haven't yet committed if the AI thinks that you're going to? Yeah, because you look shady and suspicious. <laughs> exactly. No, no more the copper walking along the street on the beat, going, "Yeah, that looks like a shady character." It will be a digital device somewhere or other, and the CCTV on the street corner says, "Yeah, Rob looks shady today." And of course, some of this is purely from an economic point of view. On the twenty-first of March, uh, Professor, uh, Professor Tim Minchell is going to be talking about why uh, robots aren't going to take over all the factories yet um, because of course we can automate an awful lot of production we can get some great results from that massively improved efficiencies at the same time are you reducing jobs are you putting people out of work where they they previously did have employment or maybe you're allowing those people to spend their time their skills in more important, yeah, I mean, we've we've certainly seen more, more sort of value-added ways. We've certainly seen seen mechanising uh, production processes has made it safer for workers. You know, yes. things that are hazardous for humans to do, we can now do with machines. Yep. 
But a lot of these things still require someone to drive the machines. Yes, yes. And if it's the same folks that were doing the manual work before that have now got development opportunities here, the opportunities to upskill and to do that, that's brilliant. On the other hand, if suddenly you make all of the original set of workers unemployed and you bring in a load of new people who already had plenty of employment opportunities before... Yep. Maybe that's that, maybe that's Less going to again. yes again yep. going to cause uh, more problems in society. So lots uh, lots of that coming up, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about that over the next few weeks as the Cambridge Science Festival progresses. Right, uh, it's that time of the year when the white stuff small, uh, falls, doesn't it? Yes, and I think it has been on uh, the north side of England today as well, <laughs> up in Yorkshire. Uh, and, and of course, Scotland, Lincolnshire has had snow. Yes, yeah. Apparently, Peterborough got a bit as well. Oh, really? Ooh, yeah, okay, did, coming, did, coming did, close. Did, Not did, there yet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to get to Cambridge. So you might go skiing. Yes. Probably not in Cambridge. No. And Castle Castle Hill, probably not quite. I thought we'd look through a few skiing gadgets because I don't think we've done that before. No, that's true. Uh, So the first one I found was the Carve. Okay. Which is a little widget that you strap to your ski boots. Right. And it will coach you. Oh, okay. So if you sort of, you presumably have to know roughly how to ski. To start yeah, you need with. you need the basics, but this is going to help you improve your technique. So it will talk about your balance, where you're actually putting your centre of gravity, and give you some information about your skiing style after your run. Nice. I, I, I can see that being quite useful. And yeah. it, it's the sort of thing where you can't just measure that on a smartwatch, probably, no. can you? You need to know the sort of the various what pressures the and movements yeah. and and that sort of thing. Yes. You done skiing? Um, not for many years. I, I used to... Uh, on snow. Never skied on snow. <laughs> okay. No, um, down so by... Uh, dry slope lessons. Yep, down by okay. my parents there was a, a, dry, a dry slope down so in I Kent. Did, I did dry slope lessons and actually did manage to get a chance to ski in the US a couple of times. Nice. Never got off the, the sort of learning slopes. The, the beginners. <laughs> yes, because, uh, you know, it's like... Unless you're doing a lot of it, you just don't get the skills. And of course, if you d- if you do do it on the dry slope, then you learn not to fall over because it, it hurts, hurts yep. badly. Yeah, yep. so the amount of bruises that that generates, and and um, yeah, you and learn burns. that gloves is a gloves is a good <laughs> idea, essential. <laughs> Next one. Well, you've got one of these. Uh, yes, previous model. This is the uh, the Garmin Fenix Six Pro. Uh, watch. So you've got uh, the Series 5. I've got the 5X Plus, uh, which is now a couple of years old. And we had you have a look at yours quickly while we were just listening to the last track, and uh, I said has yours got what the, the 6 definitely touts as ski mode? Apparently it does. I've never used it. Um, <laughs> but no, I, d- I do have not only one ski mode, but three. I've got skiing, snowboarding, or cross-country skiing. Excellent. So smartwatches that can track your ski runs, so you can see how you did on your run if you're going for time. Yep. But also if you want to know the route. You know, if you went cross country and you found a separate route and you, you want to be able to do it again having it recorded by your watch obviously quite cool and it's interestingly if i if i look at it i've just gone into ski mode here um it has a screen for the current run and also the total runs and your sort of maximum and average speed and how far down you've gone vertically as well as horizontally cool. so it, it's it looks very similar it does interestingly it does have training so okay. you can you can set uh, uh sort of training targets and uh, and workouts and uh, that sort of thing for skiing specifically. I still want to have a go at snowboarding because you know it's different and you spend most of it on your backside. I was going to say it seems more acceptable to fall over when you're snowboarding. Yes, yes it does seem to just be the done thing, and you want to stop, you just sit down. Yep, <laughs> voluntarily or otherwise. Uh, ski helmets are another interesting thing, and of course we're we're certainly seeing safety becoming a lot more. Um, 
front of people's minds when it comes to skiing and so, and helmets are a sensible idea oh they really are and just do it and it, it shouldn't even be an option really so of course helmets can these days come with things like bluetooth that that's an interesting one it's a bit like sort of cycle helmets with bluetooth i'm not sure how i feel about it because you really need to be concentrating on everyone around you you don't want to go into someone and you want kind of a heads up if someone's coming towards you from behind or from the side that yeah. you can't necessarily see them should you really be listening to music while you're uh, while you're skiing? Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's okay if, if you're if out. You've got your calf device on your boots, yes, which can give you instructions. That's true. Listening to that could yeah, be quite things useful. Things like that could be quite useful. Or, or maybe sort of comms with your uh, with, with your mates so you can meet up at the bottom. Of course, if you've got a good helmet, you probably want a good set of goggles. Yes, and there's a vast range of goggles these days. I, I couldn't actually find. I know I have seen there are goggles that are heads-up displays. Oh, really? So you can see, presumably, your, things like your speed, your, speed, your position. Your altitude, nice. map details on the heads-up displays. Those are available. And, um, of course, from a low-tech point of view, you need it to not fog up. Yes. Because yes. particularly when you stop, yeah, it's not so much, in, I, I find this on the bike, uh, when I'm going, it's okay, but as soon as I stop at a set of traffic lights, then suddenly the sunglasses all uh, all mist up and <laughs> have to wait till you get, get you, going You again. haven't worked out how to stop breathing at those points. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's the breathing. I think it's just the sort of the warmth from my from my eyes. Ah, hot and steamy. Yeah. Of course, you might want to film your run, so you probably want a GoPro because definitely, you know, it is the the done thing. A GoPro Hero Eight, obviously, the current series from GoPro. Do loads what? of accessories available for them on how you attach them to your helmet or to your chest or to your wrist. And do of course watch out if you are attaching anything like a camera to uh, to various bits of you. you know, make sure that if you get involved in an accident that it's not going to actually do more harm than yep. the, than good uh, this one's an interesting one this is an airbag I, I like the idea of this this is really targeted towards folks who are sort of going off piste really isn't not, it and, not and not the higher so risk that, areas but yes you know, black runs and uh, yeah, a bit of cross country it's a an avalanche airbag yep so the idea here is that you know, if you get involved in an avalanche, if one, some comes, something comes down on top of you, you get buried, um, you want to set this thing off and it does the James Bond thing. It sort of makes this nice big inflatable cushion around you. It helps you float to the surface um, and also just keep, you know, gives you a bit of space if, uh, if you do get buried. Yep, so that's from Mammoth. Not uh, so cheap, £570 at the moment on Amazon. Yeah, but I think if you're a serious skier and you do a lot of skiing on, on the more interesting areas, you know, what is safety worth? That, that's true. You spent yep. more than that on, on getting there, and you probably spent more than that on your skis. Well, <laughs> yeah, there is that. Uh, of course, you probably want good snowboarding or skiing gloves, and these days you can get heated gloves, you can get all the interesting 3M thermal insulations, Yep. things to think about. Uh, other cool things that you might want is you might want a, a dryer for your boots. Oh, really? So is this presumably at the end of the day that you, you want to dry them out? Yep, and there are boot dryers available. Uh, and then, of course, don't forget all the uh, thermal layers, the base layers. There's plenty of technical layers available that can improve your comfort while you're out there skiing. And this uh, this one I, I had to smile at. Um, a, a comfort sort of technical base layer for your mobile phone. This is the Fuji XP3. Um, because, of course, if you are out and about, you might be nice and warm in, uh, in all of your clothing, but your mobile phone is likely to get cold. And that means that its battery will not last very long. So you can actually get a heated pouch for your mobile phone. Keeps it nice and just the right amount of toasty. You can also get rechargeable power banks that are hand warmers. Oh, so you can I like charge that. your phone 
and warm your hands at the same time. Very good. So there's, there's plenty of interesting tech for skiing and snowboarding. Certainly with having a look, you can even go back to the old school stuff. Zippo, do the hand warmer, which you actually put fuel in. Oh, blimey. Don't carry that on the uh, on the aeroplane. <laughs> That's about all we've got time for for this evening. But uh, don't worry, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. We'll try and get this episode up as a podcast in the next few days as well. Yeah, hopefully we'll get a chance to look at what's coming up at the Mobile World Congress. Hopefully it'll go ahead. Um, but we hope to also have some guests from the Cambridge Science Festival. Just Google Cambridge Science Festival to find out all the details and book yourself some tickets. Cambridge 105 Radio.